Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in technology, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trond Arne Undheim, futurist and author. In episode 47 of the podcast, the topic is how to invest in sci-fi tech. Our guest is Adam Draper, CEO and founder of Boost, the startup accelerator and VC firm. In this conversation, we talk about taking your investment advice from sci-fi movies, exoskeletons, jetpacks, Iron Man suits, time travel, deep ocean exploration, which specific sci-fi technologies are coming online in the next decade and which have already. Quick word from our sponsor. Do you have business challenges where you would like high quality external input from experts? Yegi is an insight network with access to on-demand teams made up of select talents from thousands of experts. Check out Yegi at archives.yegi.com. That's Y-E-G-I-I. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about sci-fi. There, there couldn't be a, a better moment, I think, to talk about sci-fi. We, we need some sci-fi in our world now, right? I think we, we sort of we have one one side of it. We sort of have post apocalyptic Blade Runner going on I, I, in uh, in California. We, we literally have an orange cloud right now over our heads. It's like is that right? I saw I saw some pictures from San Francisco. Where where are you right now? I mean, I'm 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 in like the San Mateo area, and the uh, it is literally like it's bright orange and wild. And I've n- I've never had experienced anything like it as far as skies go, and uh, and it uh, or they or it like fades. It didn't fade for the whole day yesterday. It's here today. It's like crazy. Wow. How how are you doing breathing wise? I I know lots of people with asthma and stuff are, are really suffering. Yeah. Um. I it is heavy. It's heavy. That's how I would describe it. It it like the air quality meter didn't say it was bad yesterday, but it didn't feel good. So I, I don't, I, I would say I'm, I'm breathing. Okay. It's just, I, tr- I've been trying to not spend as much time outside unless I'm just like, Whoa, look at the orange sky. Type. Got it. Well, you know, incidentally, uh, it, it is related to sci-fi, right? Because, uh, Completely. well, you know, the, the motivation to change the world comes from somewhere. And I think there are mostly you know sci-fi they're mostly dystopian scenarios in some way right perhaps to make them more interesting but the technology involved in it is always very very fascinating either fixing things or um you know i guess exploiting uh the situation adam i you know you someone, um, someone once said uh the future either looks like star trek or uh, what's that? What's that movie with? Oh, Mad Max. Right. Uh, so anytime I can invest, I try to make it look a little more like Star Trek. That's a that's a good one, Adam. You uh, call yourself a fourth generation venture capitalist. I've looked into this a little bit, and you know it could be that you're better at your family tree than mine. But if I'm right, your great grandfather was William Henry Draper Jr., uh, an army officer and banker. Am I right? That's correct. That's yeah. a, that's a more research than most people do. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I'm actually I'm, I should uh, my my grandfather would love for me to make sure to plug his book. It's called the Startup Game. Uh, so I have it right here. 
And it's it's a fantastic book. uh, And it covers basically what you just said in a little more detail, but it's great. And it's about the relationship between a venture capitalist and an entrepreneur. It's great. But this is the other William Henry, right? This is the third. This is that one's son. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Because I was going to get to that, that the grandfather, your grandfather also had the same name. I've actually read that book, by the way, so I can vouch for it. It was very interesting. I have it in my his tone is so charming. Like it's one of those things where it's like at at minimum you get his tone to come across, which is so nice. Yeah. So I, I, I love it. Well, incidentally, you gave me a a hook there because, you know, I don't know, people don't always love to talk about their families, but I I was just kind of curious and I know you've talked about this, you know, in many interviews, but you know, your family sort of takes time to sink in on people, or at least let me speak for myself. It's taken me a while to kind of realize who I am based on who my family is and and were. How how has that process worked for you? It's a fascinating question. Um, So I would say, I don't know, the first thought I'm having is like, I didn't always want to be a venture capitalist. I wanted to be a professional tennis player. yeah, you spent a year in Australia playing tennis. Yeah, and I, I eight hours a day training, like uh, really hyper focusing on one thing. I actually think everyone in the world should take a gap year of some kind if they can. To well, this is the best year to do it, right? Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I mean, well, it's a there's nothing going year. on. So. Every, there's every, nothing every going time. on. It, it, well, right now you you should be trying to go to New Zealand. They have no coronavirus, and just like go train for something in New Zealand. Um, yeah. But uh, I would say, like, uh, at the, uh, it's like sort of. I'm very fortunate. I uh, my my family has a risk tolerance just in general that is. Right. I don't know if it's established DNA wise or not, but we we are willing to sort of vent, venture forward. No pun intended. And the uh, I, to be fair, my my grandfather. Uh, he started in the steel mills of like Indiana or Illinois, and he uh, ended up taking a huge risk to come out to California and to establish a venture capital fund. Like he is an entrepreneur. Uh, people don't always think about that as, but my father did the same thing. He started his own venture fund. I started my own venture fund. My sister started her own venture fund. And it's, I think there's something about just, and yes, we, we do have sort of a, a, uh, like a background, you know, uh, around the dinner table, my dad would talk about the network effects of Skype and the, uh, like how fast Hotmail's growing and like why those, no, are I mean, that matters. Things. It matters. It matters. Yeah, and like you absorb those things through os- osmosis, but also like, it's not easy to start anything. Like I, I, I even, even if you have a historical background, even if like, uh, b- b- something we don't talk about. Boost VC in uh, between our second and our third fund, we almost ran out of money. Uh, venture funds, it turns out, need money to be able to operate, and there is sure. a specific business model for that. So, like, it's not always. Uh, a, a, I don't know. It's I, I guess how I'm still figuring out who I am, but I have very great influence throughout my entire family that allows me to sort of have a ballast. That's how I would think about it. It's more like I have, you know, is this, is this good? I have someone who can quickly give me an answer on if that's good. Is this bad? I have someone who can quickly give me an answer on that's bad. And it's more of a, 
while you're going through your life, I have my sister, my brother, my, I have two sisters, my brother, uh, and my family. And we're all pretty close where we feel comfortable put, talking to each other. I think that's the most important thing to figure out who you are. I don't know. I'm still figuring out who I am. So I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but I like helping people. And that's what I've been magnet, magnetized towards. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I don't think it's, I wasn't meaning it in a deterministic sense. It's not like just because, uh, you know, three generations were venture capitalists, everyone in every, you know, in, in every family that has that history, which isn't very many, should become, you know, a venture capitalist. No, but, and we weren't pushed But it is to, it. to do with no. risk, I understand. It's a, well, I think the odd thing is we weren't pushed towards, like, it was one of those things that it, in a lot of ways, I started a company out of college, it was called Expert Financial. Um over four and a half years, like we ended up having to fire sell, sell it to uh, another company, uh, not for much money. And that, I mean, I learned about the hardships of starting a business and failure. And like, I chose to take those learnings and sort of help other people not take the, not do what I did essentially. Like, you yeah. know, I made hiring mistakes, firing mistakes. I made, uh, well, focus mistakes. I would say the number one thing I learned was focus, but I turned that curriculum, that knowledge base into a program where I help a lot of companies and we've now been operating for about eight years. Um, and over the course of eight years, we've helped, we've uh, pushed 300 companies to ideally be better. Uh, and that's been sort of what my system is. So it's great. I, but fa family wise, it, I, you know, I, I would be, uh, remiss to say that my family has not helped. Like my dad has been insurmountably helpful for just general guidance while I've been establishing a fund. Uh, everyone, I'd say just family support is a undervalued thing in general. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Look, uh, this, oh, and I gotta say my wife, Oh my gosh, dealing with me, like my wife yeah. is, is a saint and completely, as far as ballasts go, just completely balances me out on the highs and the lows. So, I, oh, that's I, great I, to hear because you know, like that. you said, highs and lows. There, there are highs and lows, e even if you, uh, you know, have a privileged access to some of the learnings. You, you have to really? make those learnings yourself, and and you have to live that life, and and it's it's complicated. And yeah, you know, uh, I think so, some people want to go it alone and prove that they did it themselves, you know, like there's this sort of like, uh, says do, do it, do it my, myself thing. I learned like not very fast, but I learned that I want all the help I can get because there is no way to win alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. Adam, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the, the failure part. Um, I've, I've also been pretty fascinated with, uh, with failure, not as a strategy, because I don't think that makes a lot of sense, but I think if you do experience it, what, how do you turn it around? But also it's sort of interesting to consider, you know, does failure in business or in life, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily turn you into a failure, right? There's this notion that, you know, there's the shame associated with the failure, but then there's also this notion, some people, I think, mistake this idea that I've failed a couple of times, so I must be brilliant and everything I do after this will necessarily go right. I mean, it's much more complicated than that. How, how do you kind of preach the message of what to do around 
the complexities around starting uh, companies because you said you want to avoid you know your in, uh, investees to, to sort of make these mistakes but that's not well, really they, possible, they have right? to make other mistakes i don't want them to make the ones i made i want them to make the other ones to push them further but uh yeah. i think the difference between silicon valley you know there's a large conversation in california like do you move out like that's a big conversation but the difference between silicon valley and everywhere else is that when you talk to someone 90% of the time, 80% of the time, the conversation is around how it could work, not right. around why it won't. And yeah. that difference is culturally almost impossible to lep- rep- replicate. replicate. Um, and that's why it's California and Silicon Valley are such a special place. Now, you know, uh, there are issues, but our weather's good too. So that's nice. Um, yeah. So on, on the point of failure, we actually reward failure. We, we believe that in a lot of ways, venture capitalists, like uh, second time founders will go out and they'll, they'll raise more money faster at a ridiculous valuation. Uh, and it's because they learned on someone else's money. So they've been de-risked sure. a little bit. And so yeah. rather than in, in other areas, people would look at that as like, well, you, you failed, like this didn't work. I actually think this concept of failure being a good thing, uh, and I don't know if it's failure, because failure to me means you gave up. Like failure is, it, it, I, I would say it's more of a, uh, you know, you learned. Like how else do you learn except from experience? And if you get hit down, like could you get back up? And that's, you know, these companies, these founders that have gone through the gauntlet two, three four times where they actually have chosen to solve another big problem. I've, I've companies I've backed two or three times now through my career where the founders just the worst part of their, uh, after an exit, there's this, there, there's this period of time. If they sold their company, if they were fortunate enough to have built value and sold their company, um, they're just bored. And so they need, it's like some weird internal energy that like drives them. And I, I don't, I don't think everyone sees failure and stares at it like what everyone thinks everyone sees it as failure and stares at it. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a big conversation to have around. It's almost the difference. It's, it's mindset. It's like, okay, you know, touch the burning stove. Ow, that was hot. Don't do that again. Like that seems, you know, it's a two week setback where you have a burned hand. Uh, Like it's little things where it's like, make sure to learn from those mistakes. Or if you do it again, make sure you're taking a different tact at it. Don't do the same thing. But your point with these entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, right? If you only seek out simple problems, of course you don't fail. You also learn you know at a much slower pace so so you know to bring this into the sci-fi realm here i mean if you think about historically even the authors who came up with these things right the kinds of risks they took to to dream up these worlds that kind of at the time probably sounded not just improbable but downright kind of ridiculous yeah and and then to go to be you know become one of those entrepreneurs that says yeah, I'm going to try to make the an airplane, right? science is here now. Like, that's the thing they're saying now. Like, the, the science works, so I can build it if you let me, basically. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I mean, to, to, to bring it to the sci-fi world, what, you know, I, 
I love talking about sci-fi. I love reading sci-fi. I'm reading this book right now. It's a, it's called red Mars. It's really good. Um, yeah. And it's called by Kim Stanley Robinson. There's a whole series and I, I, there's something about sci-fi and comic books actually to my, this side of me, my right is my comic book library. So I have a lot of, I have a couple rare, com- very few rare comics, but I have a couple and then a huge library of other comics. And yeah. I think it helps you daydream in a very specific way when you're reading them. It helps you sort of think about what if, what could work, how could it work. Um, But the thing about technology, I believe, is that – so my biggest fear is that our imaginations right now are limited. So my biggest fear is that we aren't imagining out far enough. And these people are pushing us further. Like that's what's so great about the writers. Like – my biggest, yeah. my biggest fear, because everyone's saying, does sci-fi drive technology or technology drive sci-fi? And like, I hope sci-fi is driving technology because we're able to, I mean, in some ways I hope it's not because I think we're, we're hitting most of those worlds. Like we're hit. We're I was going to say, it's really tricky to be a sci-fi writer these days. Why? Because so many things have been already <laughs> invented out of the classic sci-fi. So which you is know, my, which is the fear. Like everything's still a fork of Dune on some level, or a fork of yeah. Harry Potter, or a fork of like there. My my one. I I don't talk about it that much, but I actually do think that we aren't in writing, in thinking, in uh, imagining. We're not thinking far enough anymore. I mean, the fact that Ender's Game was written in like nineteen forty or thirty, like it was like a long time ago blows my mind because it was 70 years and the guy predicted iPads basically. And I mean, he predicted a little further with space sports and the, uh, and the, you know, the leading countries in the world and like the battles between them and the bureaucracy. It was, it's a fascinating book. I fear that we are actually, most entrepreneurs can actually use this technology and build this technology now, which is crazy but yep. like we need to start pushing further. And that's one of the reasons that I have, you know, my fund is completely focused on m- attracting that crazy person. I shouldn't call him crazy. I, that person uh, who thinks, hey, this piece of technology is going to be important for society in the next 20 years. So I'm going to take a shot that I could solve it in the next five, see if it happens. Like we, I want to take technology risk. I want, I, I want them to have a clear why now is the right time. Um, but so, what we call sci-fi tech, really what we've learned is ambitious and curious people uh, revolve around these different technologies that are emerging, whether it be... Yeah cryptocurrency or virtual reality or space there are these people whose identities become wrapped up in those technologies and because there's such a high density of those like curious ambitious people we just happen to be able to like find them you know like and and like i'm lucky enough to be able to support and invest in those people um we how, are, how, how yeah. did you land on those three and are those three kind of exhaustive categories for you is that like in order to sort of reduce the the space to things that you could kind of think about, you, you sort of said, all right, crypto, VR, and space, or, or is that just three examples and it could literally be anybody walking into your door, you know, into your office with, with something that 
completely the, the reason is different. we've expanded to what we call sci-fi tech more than just focusing like saying we're a we're a fund for VR crypto uh, I want to be able to attract anyone who's trying to build breakthrough technology and and scale it. Like that's the goal yeah. at the end of the day. And I'm willing to take R&D risk. So that's the thing that in, we're willing to invest when it hasn't been built, but you can prove to me that it can be built. Um, crypto was our first identity. So I always list crypto as one of the industries that we focus on. Uh, we were the first fund to like actually jump in there. And that's where we learned the most. We learned that uh, people actually established their identities along with these technologies they build for. So cryptocurrency, like it, crypto people, there are crypto people. Crypto people is a thing. Like there are people who are crypto people. There are people who are VR people. There are people who are ocean people. There are people who are, and I just happen to, I think my my superpower, if it were, is stumbling upon in I, you know, a trip and fall and like stumble upon uh, industries that are early on in their nascent in their like uh, growth, but they right. have really, really curious people who are there and building in that industry. And so I, I try to focus on like, what are the world's biggest problems and what technologies are going to be solving those? And so I'm very into ocean tech because I think people, we should establish an ownership model for the ocean. And like finding people who are like curious in that industry is like one of my superpowers is just like mag figuring out where the magnets are and how I can establish a network is something that I'm pretty good at. In so post-COVID world, it is harder. I used to be able to do this random wandering thing where it just like, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go to that event and I'll take a trip and I'll, you know, um, it's not as easy because everything needs to be so like chosen and planned. I'm not as good in wandering now, but. I was going to ask you, thank you for volunteering that concept, random wandering, because, you know, you said you're good at uh, finding out, I guess, both becoming the magnet and finding out where, where the magnet communities are. How do you really, uh, you know, I was going to say, you know, if you say sci-fi technology, that's what I want to fund. How do you find it? Where do you find it? Obviously, well, one part is to establish a brand where you say <laughs> we're looking for it. So then people, I hopefully seek you out. But it's more complicated than that. I mean, are you are you going as far as sort of like digging into into your reading of sci-fi books and and films and sort of have you spent any significant time kind of expounding on the things that might be possible? I know you you've talked about things like uh, Iron Man suits. I mean, you you have you throw some things out there to Completely. kind of give I, people an idea. You know, it's it, yes, and that's the best way to think about it. Is like right when we founded uh, Boost VC and we wanted to merge, we, we sort of chose to go beyond just crypto. I would say I want to invest in anything that gets me closer to an Iron Man suit. And what it did was it gave everyone a picture of what I wanted. Sure. Like it gave everyone a picture of like a world, and it was something that they could clamp onto. And like, yeah. and then what what it did was it made them send me the weirdest deal they saw every month. Like last month, uh, two weeks ago, there was a, a, a jetpack sighted uh, in uh, in the like run, a plane was flying, and they everyone on the wing saw a jetpack flying next to them. So they sighted a jetpack. I got twenty five calls and texts uh, <laughs> saying, "Was this you?" Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Right. They thought it was you. And I was like, I have branded myself perfectly where at least I'm, I am co-branded with jetpacks. And to be fair, I've invested in two, which one is jetpack aviation. One is gravity. Um, you know, those are things that people thought were impossible. Like really it's the technology's VTOL engines and people didn't believe that micro VTOL engines were powerful enough to fly a human upwards. Uh, for any extended amount of time. And it turns out like there's still gas is a big problem and like all that stuff. But these, I have seen my diligence was seeing two entrepreneurs who had been working on these things for a while, one for 13 years or 20 years or something. And one for like 18 months, both of them flew like they flew themselves. Yeah. Like not even a stunt man. They flew. Yeah. They flew. Like that's crazy. So that's my but but sorry, I'm off wandering off topic. The, but that's fine. I, the the, the uh, I think w- the the general point ends up being like I want. I'm obsessed with known unknowns. We know we know nothing about the ocean. We know we know nothing about space. We know we know nothing about the brain. And then there's this subcategory of things that people believe are impossible, and in that, I think I've been very uh, successful in just sort of finding entrepreneurs who are doing things that are out. Like we have an exoskeleton company that makes you run farther, faster. I tried it and I was like, I don't know if it's actually doing it. And then it cut out and I basically almost fell off the treadmill. And like, so like (laughs) going, seeing these people who are truly changing the way that we could live. I don't know. It's sort of my obsession. Like I I think it's just sort of this thing I do and I've been able to align that with my, my world, but you're right in that there are two ways. Venture capitalists have two ways to find companies, right? There's the inbound, Hey, I want money. So I'm coming to you. And so that's about building your brand correctly and making sure that they understand what you represent and the type of company you want. We invest in other things than just like what you would consider sci-fi. I just want to surround myself with great people, you know, like that's true. That becomes a magnet for just more great people. But in general, yes, we love the thing where it's like we we just invested in a company uh, called Starfish that moves things in space. It's a tugboat for space. Like that's crazy. Like I've never like like that blows my that's mind. That's crazy. And and the, the the I always get really animated and talking to them about like a claw and they're like the software is the important thing and I'm like but you you're creating like a claw right like how does that work uh, so <laughs> it's yeah and you get to have these I don't know the conversations are always very very curiosity focused because there are no right answers I think I live in a world of no right answers but it's the best answer of the day wins. Um, so do you, do you, do you limit yourself to certain environments? Do you think when you, so when you do your random walking around, I mean, typically, uh, for, uh, you know, on the East coast, these things are called hard tech, like famously at MIT, you know, they, they think about it as these are things that are hard. And the presumption is that the R and D is happening inside of a university lab because it is hard and it has to be sponsored by somebody, which I, you know, is a university supported by a government or, a, or, or some foundation or perhaps some deep-pocketed company that partners with the university. But you seem to kind of go into many different places. I mean, 
what, I, what percentage of your companies come directly out of a university and what percentage just comes out of people's mind who are deriving it from, so from lots I, of other places? I'd say the new... Uh, so for a while, uh, my grandfather always thanks Stanford for like he he basically he went to Yale, but he always thanks Stanford and and he thanks yeah. Yale because he he loves Yale to the like everything. But right before the uh, for the people, but Stanford he where he was it generated all of these great businesses and technologies and like all this stuff. Without Stanford, he always says he couldn't have done what he did, which I I think is a fair statement. Now, what our job is as venture capitalists in the earliest stages is about finding where the most curious, ambitious people are, right? It's not, it's not about like, it's about finding a high density of those people. And I find them in these, they're, they're, they're two worlds uh, where these people are. And yes, I will say like, I, I, we, we've started to diagnose and MIT the people think a little differently. I've been very successful with MIT founders. Um, before I started Boost VC, I invested in a company called Amplitude. It's now a billion dollar company. And I invested in a company called Benchling. It's probably, it's about a billion dollar company now. And they're both MIT founders. I've invested in a couple others. The, they, the, I think MIT does have a way in which they're coaching curiosity rather than uh, the success of like your life, basically. And that curiosity- and if yeah. you get ambitious MIT related people, there are coaching that ambition is something that's very difficult. Um, yeah. But so I, I think universities, there are universities where this works. Actually, Waterloo in Canada has a lot of amazing engineers. That's another place. Um, Stanford has already has this ecosystem that's so like saturated with people willing to invest money because there's so many successful people that it's almost like must you have be to hard yeah. Of it. yeah and but now it's almost like that new education platform is moving to uh startups so where it's you could have gone to stanford mit yale wherever i went to ucla um but then it's about joining facebook and google and airbnb and uh, and Coinbase and these other, it's almost like you are in, you're trying to figure out the network and the world that it can that can help you in the future. And now there are a lot of really smart ideas that are coming out of work coming out of those. I think that we're grouping up into the next phase, which is they come out of the curiosities of these technologies because we're all so well networked now, you like tied together through the internet. You can find your pod where there's these this identity with you, which is like you're a crypto person, I'm a crypto person. Let's hang out. It's all on Twitter for that right now. But the uh, I, yeah. you're a VR person, I'm a VR person. That's all on uh, Discord. Uh, like you can find these. What that's that's where biggest innovations are going to be coming. The people who are establishing these micro communities that are going to like grow to envelop the rest of the world. And so that's where I try to spend my time I'm finding them. So oceans, it's a, people are ocean people. Like uh, they're calling it climate tech now, but like- Where do you are, find these people? Where do you find them? I mean, that's uh, not historically neither MIT nor Stanford, I guess, right? It's, yeah, well, actually, they have uh, the, ocean the, related things, but- The top uh, universities are- 
Well, still MIT, like they, they do have an ocean. They, they're on the coast. So they do do experiments. And there have been, I think I've sure. invested in two or three ocean companies, uh, blue ocean. No, there definitely is. But I'm, but I'm saying if you say ocean now, yeah. you're, you're, you can broaden the, uh, so you it's know, that's everywhere. not just Silicon I mean, Valley. Norway, Norway, like the, a huge right. percentage of their GDP is actually based upon uh, aquaculture. Um, yeah. The shipping and logistics is also, I think it's in like that area of the world, the Netherlands. Um, and then the, what's the, uh, Swarth, no, not Swarthmore. Um, you knew that I, I am Norwegian, right? So I grew up with this o oceans is like, you know, thinking about the ocean is kind of how we survived, you know, from fishermen onwards. So talk to, to what you're saying about, you know, growing up a venture capitalist, when you grow up in Norway, you have to have a relationship to the ocean and you try to kind of survive it or you try to master it or you just respect it most of the time, right? There. Because the ocean gives and the ocean takes is the proverb, right? Because, you know, suddenly your husband doesn't come home because he was fishing for a month, right? And completely, I mean, historically, you know, that's, no, that's and, and that's so true. And we, in the US, we undervalue the ocean so much. We undervalue the the value of the ocean in Norway. They respect it and they value it accurately. I, I and I think that's a part of why they're doing so well economically. Um, well, the, the U.S. has two coastlines, right? But th there's only two coastlines, and the rest of the people are obviously bundled in the middle and have no relationship to the ocean. And, and you know, this this thing is just natural. It's just, in my opinion, if you cannot see the ocean for lunch, if you cannot, you know, with a credible you know, without getting a speeding ticket, you know, have lunch by the ocean, you understand nothing about the ocean. And that's okay. One of the, so another place that you find problems is in common conversation. So if you really listen to the common conversations that are happening in the world, post pre pandemic, because pandemic sort of clouds everyone's conversation right now. It's always, you know, oh, the how's remote work and how's that? Like you could predict exactly what your conversations are going to be today. And I would suggest trying to think of different ones. Um, yeah. But like pre one thing that everyone talked about, there were always sub arguments happening off of those. And the one that I started listening to the most was uh, climate change. So right. and I'm making it sound like I was I was. Uh, I believe that climate change was happening. I actually was on the other side. I thought it was just this sort of politicized thing that wasn't, you know, a real thing. Meanwhile, I'm in California that's like melting down uh, and like <laughs> yes. fires are happening. But I, uh, I had this huge argument with my friend. I, at the end of the argument, I realized he knew nothing about climate change. I knew nothing about climate change. I had no idea why we were arguing other than that, like we had strong opinions and wanted to win, which is also sort of nice. But he, uh, I spent the next 10 months reading about climate change and trying to actually get to the bottom of like how I felt. And I actually disagreed with all the ways that we're measuring climate change. I disagreed with like a lot of the data. But at the end of the day, I had to ask myself a very simple question. Do I believe that the climate is changing on the planet? And do I believe humans are causing it? And if the answer is yes, I have to do something about that, right? And so I started to look at that as the the... So listening to sort of these, the where people have strong opinions in the world, there's opportunities that are going to happen. So a lot of people had very strong opinions about cr cryptocurrency 
and you know that there's either change occurring or innovation happening. And like that is it, where those things are happening. There's like an old societal thing that's going to be killed off and a new thing to take its place. Um, mm. And so for and, and so climate change, very strongly opinion. People had very strong opinions on climate change. And so I realized I believed. And so I, I also made my thesis. I made my thesis that the ocean is the regulator of the Earth's temperature and it's sick. So once we make it not sick, like the world will go back to what it was and be fine. Like it'll just be OK. So my whole thesis is basically very basic, but it also led me to start talking to people and reach out to people. So I knew that uh, Mark Benioff was a huge advocate of the ocean. I reached out to Mark Benioff. He invited me to an event. I reached out to uh, it. Basically, I started reaching out to a lot of people um, and you'd be surprised. People want to help if you're interested in something like sure. they want to like invite you places and do things. And so I started getting very immersed in the culture of ocean tech. Um, and now now I'm like one of the main investors. And I think that's I, I'm I'm sad, but I'm also excited because I think it's really undervalued where like aquaculture is a $250 billion a year market with no technology. Like yeah. seems like a market that we should be adding things to. Right. Uh, I, I love the way that this conversation is, uh, you know, certainly in my mind, expanding in a good direction what sci-fi tech is and, and, and was, because, you know, it's easy to sort of just pigeonhole sci-fi tech as, you know, let's go to Mars and all these things, which I, I honestly for a while had problems with for same reason, I guess, as you now have kind of had this new consciousness around the ocean. I've kind of always been like a, an environmentalist. And for a while, I sort of was thinking, why are we spending all this time on this space technology when our Earth clearly needs the greatest thinkers? But I mean, this is sort of a false uh, dichotomy I've come to believe, right? Because technology can solve many, many problems. But on the other hand, you don't have unlimited time. So definitely the ocean seems to me I don't know how sci-fi it is. It definitely is, you know, if we're going to continue to live even the way we do with the comforts that we have of, of you know, having readily available natural food that's not synthetically, you know, boosted in some way, we, you know, the ocean is a pretty good place to start. And by the we way, Adam, why it, would like... it matter if it's man-made or not? You know, at this point, if you look outside, the climate is changing. So yeah. it's sort of at, at some point it doesn't really matter who changed it. You just got to change it back if Completely. you can or and slow like, it down. And, and I, I think there is sort of this conscious capitalism movement that's happening where people who have money are moving towards things that they believe will make the world a better place. Making sure that they are moving towards that is a good idea. But the ocean is this thing that people, you being from Norway, probably understand this almost better than anyone, which is uh, it's unfathomably large. Like you, you right. can't actually comprehend it. So people don't believe you could live on it, own it. Like these things that we do on land because it is so much larger it, because it's 70% of our planet, like 70% of our planet means that we're only living on the 30%. Like humans are only living on the 30%. And so I, I, I'm imagining like sci-fi being, Hey, how do we scale to 10 billion people on this planet? How do we, you know, make sure we all can eat. How do we like asking the bigger scale based questions for humanity where it's like, and then on the plus side, also sci-fi is 
how do we get off the planet and make sure we diversify? Like I, you know, I'm a venture capitalist. I think we should diversify humanity. And I, yeah, no, I, I, I think, uh, you know, Elon Musk has a, a good point about this. You know, it's, uh, he, I think he became famous uh, for, for a lot of different sayings, you know, lately, but, uh, d- definitely diversify to, uh, become an interplanetary species just, just in case AI runs, uh, you know, haywire. So yeah, learn, so, learn, learn, you know, and, uh, <laughs> just or, in case, or just in case that the earth becomes unha- uninhabitable but but i i also think it's it's crazy to me that we've only explored like we only have maps for like five percent of the ocean like as far as exploration like for well scanned uh area, areas of the ocean that means 95 percent of the ocean is like unexplored and not known and there are very clear problems where it's like Hey, we need to understand how to scan the ocean at scale. Okay, like that's a very clear, like entrepreneur solvable problem. Um, to, you know, communicating from beneath the ocean to an airplane. How do you do that? Like asking those questions get you to these incredible, like potential worlds and businesses. Um, there was a there. There's a pretty good book that's called Seasteading. That's about. Uh, how it is fathomable to live on the ocean full time and build out yeah. an entire economy. Um, I'm, I'm like, you know, I think that would be a step towards ocean ownership, step towards uh, like GDP of an I- island in the middle of the ocean. I don't know. It's, I think humans are basically capable of anything, but we limit ourselves. And so why not? say something crazy. That's what Elon, you, the magic power of Elon is he says something crazy and people real raise the bar for themselves. They go, Oh, I'm allowed to think that way. Like yeah. I'm allowed to do that. I'm allowed to, you know, speak my mind. Great. I'll speak my mind now. Like, so you think, uh, Atlantis will one day happen some sort of post, uh, apocalyptic. I hate that word. It's very tough to say on radio, oh, I- but, uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I try to I'm, avoid that word. I I I 100% think that it's uh I think it in a way has to happen. Like I think in a way we have to know more about the ocean. We have to be able to live in it. We have to and we've never we've we were visitors to the ocean, but what if there was an actual like residents of the ocean and like It would be that- nice if we uh if we saved some of the ocean before we started living in it though. Right. So because, my whole uh, thought process is the reason that we uh, the, on land we take care of things we own. Basically, the tragedy of the commons problem doesn't exist inside our country's borders. Yeah. Uh, it does exist in the ocean because no one owns it. They're all saying we don't own it. Doesn't matter to us. Like we're not going to invest that much money in cleaning up the ocean because we have no financial benefit in the middle of the ocean, other than everything like 80% of GDP is completely based on commerce of different countries. Um, but the, uh, but basically the trash in the middle of the ocean is no one's problem. So no one's cleaning it up. So I think creating an ownership model will start to solve those small, those problems. And we'll start to look at it as a, Oh, I could, I could actually be here and reside here. And someone I'm excited for someone to just have like, uh, someone just, started thinking about doing a um i uh international space station for the ocean so well, 
one of the reasons that we haven't explored the ocean was in the fifties, uh, there was a space race and right. Noah and NASA were actually started around the same 10 year timeframe. And Noah had one failed mission and NASA had, we had to beat Russia. And so right. there was the capturing of the imagination and the uh, lock, locked, you know, and there was sort of a blockage. So NASA has outfunded NOAA by about a thousand X over the last 60 years. So also just funding for ocean stuff and resources has been like very, very low. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to be a gateway for all of this stuff. Like I, I'm in a very fun position where I get to be sort of a translator to the future for people who don't necessarily believe who believe in the status quo. Like I get to say, yeah, some of the I end up in meetings where people are like, "Well, cryptocurrency is never going to be a thing," and I'm like, "Well, it's a three hundred billion dollar market now. Like, I I don't know if it's, t- I don't think you can say it's not going to be a thing. It might not be, you know, world. It might not be the currency of the world, but it's definitely a thing." Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm. Isn't that fascinating? That's I mean a slightly separate track, but you know, you are so immersed in a lot of very advanced technologies and companies and if you just put yourself in a micro community like your expression that is not immersed then you know i for instance have been advising parliaments around the world for for a while throughout my career and the challenge involved in telling any decent uh, you know friendly nice politician not just telling them stuff but explaining it in a way that they don't then just turn around and run away and, and and then, you know, use for some nefarious, crazy purpose because there's just a gap here in, in understanding. It, and, and it's very easy for some of those people who have never been involved in any of this to kind of pick up some little factoid and run with it and, and then say, crypto will never be a thing or crypto is the thing. And, and then really the context around it takes you 10 years to develop. So, so you know, I guess my point with the question is, Yes, it's an economic challenge to kind of make these things tradable, but it's also a little bit of a governance challenge. You you kind of have to make the political system more motivated to understanding these things. In incentives. So one of the things that I love that crypto was sort of my first foray into these uh, micro communities where it's like your identity is linked to a technology is because all they think about, all that community thinks about is alignment of incentives. Um, yeah. And that is a very fascinating problem globally for understanding new things. So like making sure that parliament or, uh, or the U S government or like whoever are aligned and understand that there is a clear value to them under spending time in that space. I feel that's the gift that crypto has given me, which is just understanding, um, this, that everything needs economic alignment. And I, at the end of the day, my whole thesis, like my, my whole thing is like, we are on a rock hurtling through space. And for some reason, we have, de- we, for scale reasons, actually, we decided to draw lines around all of our countries and all of our, like the whole planet on land, land-based lines. But like, now we're all connected on the internet and it's like, we all have empathy for each other and we can't it like ward for some reason doesn't make as much sense to me as maybe a previous generation. And like, um, 
I think we have to figure out how to live on this rock, right? And that's my thesis. My thesis is how do we do that? How do we make sure that the lines go away? People just sort of like frictionlessly trade. People can live and own things and create almost the future is it's like an imagination economy. It's like a creativity economy. Like I think that the future, that's what, if everything goes right in my world, people can spend more time thinking about what does not exist than what does exist. And that would be interesting. I agree with that. That that would be fantastic. Yeah. Like uh, you, have, so- you have a podcast. Like this is, uh, I always think of my podcast as my creative outlet, you know, like it's my, it's it's my time to meet someone really interesting and have my mind wander a little bit. It's so it's fantastic. Adam, right? I tell you, I cannot believe that I didn't have this idea, not just three years ago, but I mean, literally over a decade ago, because the number of conversations I've had with very smart people where at the end of the conversation, you know, there were things exchanged in that conversation that I would have wanted to record in some way. But and now I have lost all of those. I, it was such a Co- such completely. A I, I don't know. In some ways, it's like this. The I, I think of it. You know, I I meet with my uh, I hang out with my grandpa every two weeks. So we have a breakfast every two weeks, and I, I write about it actually. And every once in a while, I write a article and I call it breakfast with pops, and like I explain the context and everything. But like I I, I haven't really recorded any of those. And I can't, I can't decide whether it's a pity or a like beautiful thing that I haven't. Well, right? it is both. It is both. And it's Look, both. We can't, yeah, no. We, I mean, everything isn't everyone else's proper, you know, opportunity or you can't turn everything around. But, but I'm thinking of it more than just a commercial opportunity, right? Because it's really tapping into the stream of consciousness and and learning things in a different way and just the archive that through podcasts are going to be available to people of alternative realities because this is essentially like it's uh you know like reading biographies is a very educational thing but how many biographies can you read well essentially every podcast is like a microbiography completely of and someone's life plus and- their own interpretation of it and it's less curated. Like they can't, they can be scripted, but they can't be that scripted for like two hours. You know, like they can't. They, That's hard. Yeah, exactly. In the end, you know, your personality shines through completely. And like that's, it's so fun. People who sort of want to stay on script, it's always tough for me to interview. Um, and so, so it's like, it, it's always a tough, like you have to ask him a weird question, like, do you believe in aliens? Um, and the, uh, and the, the uh, uh, and then, then it Do leads you? To, exactly. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I'm definitely unscripted here. If you have, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, you don't want to go on. Let's, let's not go on tape with that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, 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 uh, but it's, I don't know. It, it, you're right. It, it is sort of an M in some ways it's creating. I like the way of thinking about it, like biographies where you're leaving something and the, and someone could truly get to know you. Actually, that's how I use my podcast. People, uh, you, the those who are about to have a meeting with me, they'll listen to a podcast, um, sure. and 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 to get to know me better. And then they'll listen to a couple, and like they feel like they really get how my brain works. And it's true. Like I mean, I think some of those meetings end up going better just because they've you know heard a little bit. 
they, they do try to, sometimes they try to trick me and just drop in nice, like things that they think I really love based off of what I've said. Um, and I'm like, yeah. I, and I like it. And then I'm also like trying to I catch them in the, the act. Off, yeah. You're off. trying to figure like, did I say that two weeks ago? Yeah. I'm like, did, yeah, like yeah. I, I do have this like constantly moving, like, okay, was that in a blog post? Was that in a podcast? Was that, and it's impossible to tell. Yeah. So if I, for instance, tell you, you know, uh, oh, I love Harry Potter. And then you're like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, because I, I didn't say that. I I have saved it for the end because I have a point about it. But but basically, I know that you you are on print. For you, and you did your yeah. research and you asked me about. And I like that they've done their research. Actually, it's just if yeah. they say they like Harry Potter because I like Harry Potter, I don't like that. Well, that's kind of dumb. Yeah. So few people yeah. who are thirty five year old men like say that Harry Potter is their favorite book. Like that 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 that. that. <laughs> That's true. Look, as we're sort of uh, rounding up a little, I want to ask you a couple of things around, uh, well, first off, uh, just um, the future in and of itself. So there's a lot of sci-fi, and we we didn't get to go into all of the history of sci-fi. I love Jules Verne, for instance, and, you know, he's a big, was a big ocean, ocean. guy, among other things. Um, but, you know, there's all of these other legacy guys that we probably could go into, and there's also a whole slew of films that I think have inspired all of us, right? The imagination of the last 30 years of, of, of movies, whether it is, you know, Matrix, Minority Report, or something that I, I, I'm definitely Star Trek, right? There's a whole generation of engineers who basically uh, built Completely. their imagination. All, things, all of them exist now. All of them. That's the crazy thing. Like the Matrix, yeah. that thing that hooks into the brain, that's basically a VR headset because you can actually do like training now in VR. And then, yeah, so. So were you watching the uh, Neuralink uh, demo? What's your take on that? I, I don't so know if you keep I, I heard about it with, the, with the, the, I, I actually haven't watched that one, the, the latest yeah. one. I watched the presentation from a year ago. Yeah. Um, oh, I, this one was all about pigs. It was, uh, it was all about the, pig. three, the three pigs. Yeah. So with, I, with their brain implants. So I, uh, what I love about it is two things. So Elon Musk is amazing at, at getting into the biggest industries that need innovation and getting the smartest people to be working there. So um, the, I, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten deeper into water, by the way, you're going to, you're going to find yourself a compatriot there. I know. I mean, the I, moment it, he gets into water, I mean, then it, water's it, everyone's right? going to move to water. And so I, you know, yeah. I have placed some bets and we'll, 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 we'll all be happy. You've got, I'll give you six to eight months before he gets into water. Cause he's kind of busy right now, but yeah, yeah he's, he's a little busy. He's got some stuff going on. Um, so Neuralink is like what I said, I'm obsessed with known unknowns, things that we know we know nothing about. And the, the, the brain is probably the largest known unknown. We know, we know nothing about that. We say we use 10% of the brain and it's like, I don't know how that's true. Right? Like, I don't, I don't know how people have no idea. Right. And we don't know anything. And, and then everyone's just, all the scientists are starting to admit that we don't know anything. And so it's like one of those things where it's like, okay. I, I love that in connection with AI, by the way, because you know all of these neuroscientists uh, and and the wannabe neuroscientists who are actually just computer programmers are talking about neurons and how they're like their deep te- uh, deep tech is essentially just mirroring the brain. And here I'm thinking I've actually read a little bit about brain science for the last twenty thirty years. I know one thing: what we knew about the brain has changed every five years. So, I mean, <laughs> which version have you built? 
Just tell me, right? Yeah, uh, like you the, know, I know the, enough that you are like just it, 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 yeah. This this AI works this? works like a brain, and uh, just uh, and I read up. an article from 1993. Oh, you did that article? Okay, so you built that kind of a brain metaphor. Not, not the not, not the 1995 brain. It's like the, right. the 1982 right. brain. It's right. <laughs> no, I think metaphors are great, right? But they when they take so so that's why I kind of I love Neuralink's idea because they're saying we're going to go beyond on the metaphors, we're going to dig into this invasively, yeah. and then we'll see. I mean, they weren't pretending it's they also, knew it's also what's going to happen. It's also going to get all the smartest people working in healthcare. So like the beauty of, of what Elon Musk has done is he inspires people. Like space wasn't necessarily like sexy for the last 30 years. Like it wasn't, and he has made it sexy. He's made it, uh, people want some of the smartest people to want to work on hard problems in space. Same, same, automobiles and energy. Well, people wanted to work for NASA, NASA, but they thought they had to be, and they kind of had to be. There were like, you know, there were 10 jobs at NASA every year, you know, whatever, yeah. 100, you know. So only the brightest in the small departments. In a small number. Dealt and, with. You know, he's saying, things, you know. hey, we could, we could bring more people into this. Like, we need more exactly. people. In the, exactly. Uh, and then energy, like Tesla is an energy company, and like no, no one wanted to work in like, utilities of energy like that's that sounds really dull and adam that's the other thing with sci-fi tech right i mean the moment you just add the sprinkle of sci-fi tech on top of pretty much anything it can become i mean think about manufacturing it's the same thing right i I've, i've been interviewing a lot of people on kind of advanced manufacturing lately and they're we're still struggling to understand why most people haven't now realized that manufacturing is actually sexy again because you say do you want to do you want to work in manufacturing no, no one raises their hand. If you want to say, well, do you want to work on control systems, AI, robotics, and IoT, and like next generation networks, yeah, and like exactly. brain shit and stuff? It's Everybody like, wants to do so, that. Yes. So it's like almost sci-fi ends up being almost a marketing term, but it, but it attracts these people who have an identity with those technologies. And that's what you want. Yeah. We yeah. want yeah, I should have said this at the beginning, but we want as humans, the smartest people working on the hardest problems. Right. And like how you do that is you sprinkle a little sci-fi on it. Like no, no one would have wanted to work for an automobile company. Like none of the, the, like the, or, or government, like that's the next thing where it's like, we, we want the smartest people working globally in government. Singapore supposedly has the pick of the litter in government. They have the smartest people actually working on hard problems in government. Every other government's just sort of like de facto, you know? Um, yeah. And I shouldn't say that totally, like that's a mass general. Well, it's, a, it's a, maybe an exaggeration, but I mean, it's you an know. exaggeration, uh, but like. The other thing though, Adam, that's a challenge is in government. I have actually worked a lot in government, so I'm a little defensive on that. But I mean, good. for instance, you look at the EU, right? So I have worked in the EU, the European Commission. There are a lot of smart people there, a bunch of PhDs that and are six times as smart as I do. I had a huge debate with my grandfather and he convinced me like there are the smartest, there are very smart people working in government, right? But they're stuck in a system, Adam. And that's that's, the point, right? So you can be as smart as you want. You you can't accomplish, you cannot be an Elon Musk inside of a bureaucracy. It's just actually very difficult. So it's really what we want are the smartest people working in open systems. Like that's what you want. You want them to free. And I shouldn't say smartest. Smartest is the wrong word. It's like, because I think everyone is equally smart as one another, but some people are, have a risk tolerance that's higher. And like, I want those people with risk tolerance that's higher to be working on really, really difficult problems that are unimaginably 
like with well, it's risk, but it, there's a certain amount of kind of dedication to uh, to topic domains too. I'm really fascinated these days by trying to kind of make more people into polymaths, like the modern polymath or postmodern polymath, whatever you want to call it. Someone who basically I mean, I think, you know, arguably that's what you have to be and why you're successful, right? Because you straddle enough conversations, you realize when you can be dangerous and where you have to be, and you're not going to be the rocket scientist, I mean, or, or ocean scientist. I mean, maybe you will, but you're going you're gonna to have connecting no, tissue yeah, with, the, with, you know, with capital, with markets. People, I'm not necessarily talking about myself. So like... <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm, I'm just saying it's, you know, when you say smart, I think, you know, you're onto I'm something... Using- I'm using the wrong word. There's a better word. I don't know what it. I'm going to say curious. Most curious people. Curious is a good word. Curious but, is good. But, but you're right. We. I want. I want people. You know. I don't think I would be the best person to be the engineer building. Like I wasn't. My my. I was not designed to do that. I want the best people for the role who get the most happiness from whatever that thing is, they get the energy from whatever that thing is. I get energy from talking to people, helping them get to where they're going. Like I'm in sort of the perfect gig for what I get the most energy from. Um, But not, I feel we need to attract more people to fill those gaps in different areas and not in bureaucracy. You're right. They're very smart people and they're all stuck in the system and then they get, broken down where the incentives are all misaligned right and and you know you you get rewarded i i remember at the end of my career there and i was only there for a limited time i was leaving anyway and i was even being headhunted out of the the government job but i was writing a book at the time and they refused to publish it they said you cannot write a book you work in the eu government you can't no one there can write a book you're you weren't a lot yeah yeah, so to just give you an example. So guess what I had to do? I mean, I resigned and then I took another job. Unfortunately, I was going to you know, work for a big US tech company and I thought, who knows what those lawyers are going to say. So I actually published it on the Saturday. I didn't have any job. I didn't want to take any chances. That was like my first book. But anyway, you know, you can't publish something because you work in a bureaucracy. I mean, listen to that, right? You probably, I, I'm actually now negotiating with some sort of heads of unit in, in those various bureaucracies to try to get them on the podcast. And their challenge is, Yes, we are interested, but we need to design the conversation. We may have to send the podcast yeah. in for revisions. We have to control and send the. We have to control and the I'm whole like, process. What? Anyway, it, look. My last question to you, Adam, to is going to be super easy. My super okay. easy question for you now. So we've talked about a lot of different things. Staying up to date is not easy, and it's not even clear what sci-fi tech really is. Uh, you seek for these micro communities. What's your advice to people who, like me, want to stay on top of a lot of different moving pieces in technology and startups and innovation? How do you do it? How do you personally do it? And and how would you more generically to someone who maybe, you know, they're, they're not you, so they, they, they have to employ their own strategy. But what are some sort of ways to approach this going forward? So it's really interesting, like in each of these industries, so like crypto at the beginning, they didn't have media and then they developed like block. I mean, like the block is a crypto thing and uh, Coindesk is a crypto media publication and Bitcoin magazine. And then virtual reality had the same thing. And like it's VR scout and it's like there's 
there are like three that happen in each of these industries. And, you know, for uh, it, it basically, but that's what they always talk about what has happened, not what's going to happen. And obviously they're sort of just pr- printing the, the stories of the tech companies building out stuff to stay on top of it. Genuinely first. Yes. I think Twitter is very valuable. If you figure out uh, how to use it and not let it use you. I feel like it was using me for a little while. And I, I, uh, oh, it's so stuff. hard with Twitter. I, yeah. I just, it's, it's so hard to actually use it as a thinking tool and not, not just get into the mode of like, here's my message. Like it's just very hard to it's, interact. The balance is very difficult and I'm trying to be better about what that balance is. Um, I took time off and actually my brain started working way better. So I, if you are just addicted to Twitter, like, take some time off and like, let your brain work. The, the most valuable thing you can do though with Twitter is probably uh, connect with people digitally and build a relationship with them who are in that flow of information. Right. Um, Also each of these, you don't need to be like me where I'm, I'm around a bunch of different ones. Like most people will want to stick to one. Like if you want to get into oceans and climate tech, create a relationship with people who are in oceans and climate tech. Do what I did. I, I reached out to, you know, I got invited to an event where they were talking about oceans and it starts to, you need to spend enough time on it to establish context for yep. that community. Then establish who you trust in that network to sort of be the, the pulse then learn about the problems that could actually be solved with the technology on hand. And like, yeah. that would be sort of my flow. That's what I do when I'm trying to find new investments to make. Um, I mean, really, I bet on people though. So like, that's my whole thing is like, I, I, I spend all this time in these different areas so that I find the right people. Um, and that's what you should do. I, people think people don't, call people enough anymore they don't just pick up the phone text like i i it's like i you know my first like four jobs actually were well other than being a tennis counselor what were, were, were like uh telemarketing and so i think my friction point for calling someone random is very low like i'm just willing to call people and it turns out you can get to people you can figure out how to connect. You can, uh, in Buffett's book, it, it talks about how when you call like Warren Buffett, you actually get to Warren Buffett sometimes. Like it's like a crazy thing. Um, and so, uh, if you want to stay on top of this stuff, pick what you're going to be staying on top of. Don't try to stay on top of everything, um, because I'm really just at the inception point of each of these industries, and I'm trying to keep an eye on where the world's going. I don't like crypto. It's going one way. All of these are tools that the future needs to be built. Um, But if you want to go deep, go deep on climate tech, figure out where you can help to be able to solve climate change, go deep on. And it's about establishing a network. People undervalue just networks. Like having a network is very important. Like building a network is incredibly important. Um, So talk to people. That's my, so you, you asked, you said it was a simple question. It is a simple, it's a simple answer. Like go talk to people who are interested in it and who don't necessarily agree with what you agree with. Like you learn more from that. Um, and yeah, yeah. If I could say one of my f- friends said he thinks critical thinking is dying. Um, 
And I think that's a very strong statement. You should find people who disagree with how you think, like, so that you can debate those things. Like, but I learned that a lot of smart people work in government because me and my grand, I'd never worked in government. I can't make that claim, but I talked to my grandfather and he convinced me that incredibly intelligent people work in government. However, what he doesn't see is the bureaucracy is killing the innovation there. But the, the, uh, but in general, I know that it's not, it's smart people. So like always debate people, talk to people, believe things. I think I, I just want people to believe in things, you know, like believe. I like it. Adam, you've been very generous with your time and your opinions and your imaginations. Thank you so much. Hey, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. You have just listened to episode 47 of the Futurized podcast with host Trondarn Undheim, futurist and author. The topic was how to invest in sci-fi tech. Our guest was Adam Draper, CEO and founder of Boost, the startup accelerator and VC firm. In this conversation, we talked about taking your investment advice from sci-fi movies, <clears throat> exoskeletons, jetpacks, Iron Man suits, time travel, deep ocean exploration, which specific sci-fi technologies are coming online in the next decade and which have already. My takeaway is that sci-fi tech is here already and is shaping our world in thought-provoking ways. In fact, we no longer need to watch Westworld, Alien, Blade Runner, The Terminator, Back to the Future, The Matrix, Ex Machina, or even Ready Player One in order to experience a sci-fi moment. Suffice to glance at your smartphone, look inside a contemporary factory, or talk to a deep tech startup founder over coffee. The world of our dreams and fears is rapidly coming to life in this decade alone. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurize.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.